Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 84. Uh, this week, our guest is Roberto Rodriguez, who's here to talk to us about kind of topics related to attack simulation. But before we get to our guest, uh, let's take a little lap around the news. Sarah, why don't you kick things off? So I've just got one to talk about today, which is the Azure Container Apps is now supporting environment level uh, mutual TLS or MTLS. Um, it's preview, but what it means is when you need end-to-end -end encryption, um, it's going to the MTLS will encrypt the data between app between different applications within an environment. So that's pretty cool um, if you need to, things to uh, talk to each other securely. So that's just my one bit of news this week. Actually, before um, before Mark picks up, I'm actually a huge fan of mutual TLS. I'm actually a fan of TLS in general as an authentication mechanism. You know, ignoring the channel protections for the moment, TLS by default gives you server authentication, but with mutual TLS, now you've got client authentication as well. So you're authenticating both ends. And that's, uh, that's really cool. So it's good to see. So since we are talking TLS, uh, TLS is going to be disabled. Uh, I mean, uh, 1.0 and 1.1 is completely disabled. Uh, starting in October in all Windows OSs. So, a couple related uh, pieces of news from my perspective: Zero Trust Commandments um, are out and published, so we got the links there in the show notes for you. And uh, those are essentially kind of the rules of the road, like what is and isn't zero trust. You know, basically what is good modern security. And I'm actually going to be in uh, Houston in uh, late October, just before Halloween, to speak about the, uh, those commandments, uh, the reference model that's uh, shortly going to be released uh, before that conference. And, uh, also a panel session that will include CSA, and I believe we're trying to confirm uh, NIST there as well. So a number of open standards organizations getting together, talking about what Zero Trust actually is. And so uh, lots of good stuff coming there. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about Entra. There's um, additional settings in entitlement uh, management in the policy that is going to be changed or added into um, the Entra ID governance. It will provide more capabilities and uh, would allow um, the customer to select uh, to not have the policy create assignments not to uh, remove assignments and delay assignment removal. So that is a feature that was being asked. Also in public preview, uh, cross-tenant access setting basically are supporting custom RBAC uh, roles and protection action. And, and what I mean is uh, uh, cross-tenant access settings can be managed uh, with custom roles uh, defined by the organization. And this enables you to define uh, your own fine scope roles to manage cross-tenant uh, access settings instead of uh, using one of the built-in roles for management. I'm including some links uh, for more information. I have a few items. Um, the first one is in general availability, you can now use Azure Key Vault to securely store and retrieve the access key when mounting an Azure storage account as a local share in an app service. I realize that is incredibly specific. But if you are using Azure Storage in an app service, you can now store the uh, access keys in Key Vault. So uh, that's a biggie if you care about it. Uh, next one in public preview. This is one from my own backyard. You can now configure customer managed keys on existing Cosmos DB accounts. 
Historically, you had to create a new account and then migrate your data across, which is obviously pretty painful. Well, now you can actually do it on an existing account. So that's, uh, that's great to see. Now, in general availability, trusted launch as the default for a virtual machine that is deployed through the portal. Historically, trusted launch was not the default, but now it is. So trusted launch includes things like secure boot, a virtual TPM, uh, measured boot, and also boot integrity monitoring. So this is great for helping mitigate malware-based rootkits and bootkits and so on. So this is, uh, this is fantastic to see. Um, a colleague of mine, Andreas Walter, has written a paper. If you are endeavoring on providing uh, more discrete permission management in SQL Server and as a SQL database, uh, he has a paper out that's worth reading called Delegating Permission Management Using Roles Versus the With Grant Option. So if that's something that um, you know, you've been worried about or concerned about or have questions about, then Andreas, who by the way knows more than anyone on the planet, I think, about this stuff, um, it's certainly worthwhile um, taking a look at that document. We now have in Azure Artifacts support for Rust crates. Now you could argue why are we even talking about this on an Azure Security Podcast. The reason why we're talking about this on an Azure Security Podcast is I'm a huge fan of Rust, and that's the only reason. But if you're using Azure Artifacts and you're building solutions in Rust, you can now store those crates as uh, artifacts in Azure Artifacts. So that's fantastic to see. The last one, there's a bit of a story behind this. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but and if you're familiar with Azure Policy, may be aware that there are some things in uh, Azure SQL Database you can't control through Azure Policy because once you get inside of the SQL Engine, it's its own model, right? It's its own SQL Server security model and access control model and so on. Well, one thing that's been asked for a small number of very large customers who have requirements around securing their uh, their environments is the ability to block T-SQL CRUD features. So, for example, create table, create database, and that sort of stuff. So create, you know, create, read, update, delete. You can now actually block the, those T-SQL statements by setting essentially a, a policy um, in, 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 Azure, in Azure itself. So if you set this policy, there's a whole I'll, there's a link to it in the show notes and the, the process you have to go through. It's actually not part of policy, but it's mimicking policy. But it will then block things like create database, drop database, alter database, all sorts of other kind of CRUD operations. It will block all of those, which is actually really kind of nice. You must be an owner or a contributor um, on the subscription to set this, but some customers have asked for this because it gives them a much tighter control and helping restrict kind of drifting away from a secure baseline, which is the whole point of Azure Policy. So really, really cool to see this. Again, you know, it's a little bespoke, but for those who, who need it, you know, very happy to see that it's in there. All right, now that we have the news out of the way, and also, also it's fantastic to see everybody here this week. Really great to see. So let's now turn our attention to our guest. Uh, this week, as I mentioned, we had uh, Roberto Rodriguez, who's here to talk to us about attack simulation and more. Uh, Roberto, thanks so much for joining us this week. Uh, we'd like to take a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, thank you very much, Michael. Yeah, my name is Roberto Rodriguez. I'm a security researcher for the Microsoft Security Research Organization. Um, this is part of the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center. So I used to be part of the R&D department. I'm still doing R&D, but now as part of the whole Microsoft Security Research Organization. <laughs> um, and usually just doing a lot of research on, you know, trying to use um, a lot of the services that we already provide to expedite some of our processes to validate security controls internally and also doing some research. And then also diving a little bit into contributing back to the community, um, exploring some of the 
features or concepts, I guess, that you can use by probably using some open source tools to interact with uh, large language models and then just share some ideas, some, some just proof of concepts of things that people can do to get more familiarized with that. Um, and that's what I've been focusing a lot for the past couple months. And um, yeah, so happy to be here and thank you for you know, the invitation. I am super stoked that you are here. Um, uh, obviously, I have seen some of the really cool stuff you do. Obviously, you've done a lot of community contributions. So why don't we start with what are you most interested in? Let's. I'll let you decide where we go first. So I'm very interested. So I'm very interested in talking about, for example, you guys mentioned Azure Container Apps, right? And it's something that I've you know, been exploring a lot. To, to automate a lot of the things that we want to do from all the way from a basic phishing scenario to like a full business email compromise, like end-to-end -end scenario with, with a lot of components in between where to me, using Azure Container Apps has been super helpful. And I built a tool already uh, two years ago uh, called Cloud Katana. And it was a tool that it, it's still right out there and it's a tool that is based on Azure Function Apps. And I love that because you could do a lot of chaining of actions, um, trying just to push all your code uh, in the cloud, like, you know, serverless computing. And it, you know, that was great. But then when I started looking into Azure Container Apps, it was pretty clear that it's super powerful and flexible. Um, and it fits very well into a lot of the the components of a simulation, like what it takes to actually do some of this, right? Um, we usually see some basic stuff, like let's say, I don't know, download a file, execute it, and then get the call back to your C2. When you start thinking about something like phishing, for example, right, you have to deploy your own site, you have to make sure that you can adjust maybe some of the timing of when you execute things, what happens next, how do you bring things down, how do you change your IP address right away, right? Um, and it's something that, that it's just fascinating to see it. Now, of course, the part also that is very interesting as a researcher is that a lot of these right, could be used by threat actors. So that's also part of the research is to understand some of the capabilities, um, some of the things that, that actually someone could do, right? So that's also part of this in parallel to talk also to the, to the right teams and, and also uh, see if there is anything that right, we could do, right, to start enabling certain capabilities. So that's, that's, that's pretty interesting as well. And then, of course, we can finish by talking about some of the, the open source tools that I've been using to share some examples and some ideas of how someone can actually start using some of the capabilities of uh, generative AI and trying to interact with some either open um, LLMs for free or start interacting with some paid services if you wanted to, right? So. Let's start with Cloud Katana. Tell our listeners what it is, why they should go and play around with it, and, yeah. and the cool stuff it does. Cloud Katana is a serverless cloud application that uses Azure durable functions so in a way to orchestrate attack simulations. And a lot of this is against the cloud, pretty much. There are so many different APIs that you can use to execute. For example, if you want to send an email, if you want to delete an email, if you want to maybe, I don't know, add a secret or a certificate to an Azure AD application, probably authenticate as the application, and then maybe read emails, right? So there are so many things that we're trying to you know, simulate to validate things um, let's say on a regular basis. So we were trying to look for something that would allow us to 
you know, have those capabilities, right? Like event-driven, for example, technology. And Azure Functions does you know, very well. It comes with a lot of different runtimes that you can use. So it's flexible also for people that, for example, if you want to write your own function in C Sharp, in Python, in PowerShell, then, you know, Cloud Katana is just a way to set up something that then you can modify and start building your own orchestration. Uh, it started as a proof of concept because um, it's something that we wanted to do also internally just to understand how this, this automation could be happening in, in the cloud. But then at the same time, it was how can somebody use, once again, Azure Functions uh, to, run, to run a lot of these simulations? Because when you run something as, as an Azure Function, you might be using a managed identity. So what does it look like in the logs, for example? You know, then we write detections, right? <laughs> so it's, it's pretty cool, and, and it's something that I, I believe People can play around in their lab environments. I don't recommend to deploy it just like that in a production environment. The reason why is because currently the approach is to give or grant permissions to the cloud application um, in order to perform certain scenarios, right? And some scenarios do require high privilege, right? Uh, some permissions that only a privileged user will be able to have or use in the environment. So we use it usually in this you know, research lab environments, and we just try to see what's going on in there, and then we just use the same security tools that a company would use, right, in their own organization. The cool thing about this, too, is that, for example, something that I'm very passionate about is to make it flexible for someone to also contribute. And some of the, the you know, tools out there that... For example, you have to write um, a lot of different, like learn a new language, for example, to craft your own campaigns or your own scenarios. So for me also, as I mentioned before, having you know, different runtimes like Python, right, C Sharp, and you know, PowerShell, it, then you can allow someone to feel comfortable and say, hey, you know what? I do some of my simulations with these four scripts. Um, they're all in Python. So then you could actually use something like Cloud Katana to maybe execute a lot of that. And as I mentioned before, the durable function component is super powerful. And now I'm experimenting into how can we now take this idea and start using Azure Container Apps or Azure Containers in general, but one cool I guess service recently has been Azure Container Apps with Azure Container App Jobs, for example, which is similar to an Azure uh, to an Azure Activity function in Azure Durable Functions. <laughs> so, and the beauty of that is that you can actually now you know containerize a little bit more of that runtime that you could not control that much from an Azure Function perspective, for example. And it has opened the door to a lot of more scenarios where we do not just need to hit an API and write a script to, let's say, automate sending an email, for example. Now we can start integrating phishing sites and maybe start you know, playing with some of those other open source tools that a threat actor might use. Uh, it, it's, it's an easier way to containerize all these other components that a simulation requires right, to play with. Hey, so I have a couple of questions for you. One's security related and one's not, but I'll ask you both. The first one is, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to ask this question, actually. So what is a durable function? I mean, I, I know they've been around for a while. I've written a whole bunch of function apps over the years, but never a durable function. So what are the pros and cons? And you know, what is it? That's number one. Number two, what does Cloud Katana simulate? Can you give us some examples of what it actually, what it actually does? Yeah, 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 sure. So a, a durable function is, let's call it a feature of 
the Azure functions in general. Usually when you create an Azure function, you do have an HTTP trigger, for example, right? So you deploy your function and you say, if somebody hits this HTTP or, or this API, um, I want you to run this script as part of the Azure function. The durable function, oh, and then you run it once, stops, and then you get the, the output back. You know, but what if you want to start you know, orchestrating multiple of those functions and actually capture the, the state of every single execution? That's what a durable function would do for you, which gives you the concept of an orchestrator function, for example, that is capable to go to sleep, wake up, and you know, listen to what the other functions are doing. For example, if you do a specific pattern, you could say, I want to run one step at a time from one to 10, and I want my orchestrator to start capturing the state of each one and maybe do something else when one finishes. And there's a lot of other patterns that you can use, but that's what a durable function will do. It just allows you to build workflows and, and orchestrate multiple uh, functions. Something that if you're using only one function, you only have that trigger capability, but you might not have the full workflow, once again, uh, sequence maybe of actions that you want to run for a longer period of time. Right, and Azure function by itself, I think I believe last time I checked was still ten to thirty minutes. I think the uh, how much a function can run, a durable function, the orchestrator itself can run for a longer time. Right, <laughs> so you might actually say I have this big task. You can actually split it in maybe multiple activity functions. That's part of the durable concepts, um, and then you can use an orchestrator to start using them. So that that would be the reason, I guess. Why I would use a durable function for attack simulations? Um, because that's what an attack simulation is, right? You run something, you want to go to sleep for 20 minutes, and you want to run something else. That's what uh, the durable function capability is super helpful. So one scenario would be, and this is when, this specific scenario, even though it might sound very simple, it takes some time for some of the steps to actually work. So let's say you want to simulate someone that has access to an Azure AD application. And that Azure AD application has, let's say, application roles permissions, which means that the application itself, the app roles permission, if it says mail read, for example, you can read email, not just your email, you can read email for the whole tenant, let's say, right? If the app has enough permissions because it's acting on its own. So one of the things you can do is say, if I have access to this app, my first step would be, let's add a secret to the app. So that way I can use that secret and authenticate to the app and then use the app to then do the next steps, such as you know, read an email. When you add a secret to an app, the app, in order to recognize a secret, takes sometimes like a minute, sometimes it takes five minutes. And if you want to probably create a new application maybe and you know, grant more permissions, Sometimes it could take even like 10, 15 minutes. So for me to use something like Cloud Katana would be let's schedule some of these waits in between and so on, right? Once I give the secret to the app, I can authenticate with the secret. Now I'm acting as the app with enough permissions to read email or do things with mail in my tenant. So next step would be let's just probably start reading some email or maybe send emails also to others. And now it turns into a potential 
um, you know, business email compromise internally, where now you're using an internal source to start sending or interacting with mail in general, I guess, with others in the tenant. That's a basic use case that it takes the steps of secret, authentication, you run an API, wait for email, maybe you want to destroy the app or delete the secret. So there is multiple steps that you will have to do. So that's something that you could do with Cloud Katana, for example, build your campaign and just make sure that the Cloud Katana identity has enough permissions to do a lot, to do a lot of this uh, in actions, and then you could do it. One approach that we're trying to take is also to see if we can just allow the app to use my own permissions. Um, and that's something also that could be easily modified. So that way you don't have a app with, you know, with a lot of permissions, which is, you know, super powerful, but also not the best thing to do in your tenant. Yeah, but I hope that that basic example kind of shows you steps, right, that a simulation would take, right? I'm glad that Michael asked um, uh, what are the normal use cases, I guess, uh, for this uh, tool. Because um, recently I was playing with uh, Cloud Katana and I was trying to uh, implement it. Um, usually there's organizations that, that have a single tenant and then uh, they give permission to just individual subscriptions uh, for test dev environment. And that way they they have the capability of viewing everything that is happening in all the subscription. So I thought that my permissions, by, by having privileged permission in the subscription was enough, but it seems that it's not. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that and describe what type of permission are expected? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for example, something that, that we do with, with Cloud Katana right now is to provide templates of the actions that you can take. And some of the actions that you can make the tool to take for you or some of the flows, the actions right, that you can take, um, some of them do require the app to, for example, there is one attack simulation that requires the app to be able to grant permissions or you know, define some app role assignments for a new identity in the tenant. And if you want to grant that to an app, you need to be a privileged user or at least be able to grant permissions. And that doesn't happen at the subscription level. So, and that's because the tool by default is trying to say, hey, this tool is capable to do X, Y, and Z in the tenant. So it will try to say, you need to have permissions to at least grant permissions, right, to this identity. Um, that's one of the reasons why I think that something that we could do is to um, allow the user to maybe enable what use cases they would like to have by default enable and not enable the other ones unless you have the permissions for, and then you can just run it at the subscription level. Um, something that I had not, uh, to be honest, you know, play with as much because a lot of my research has been on the, um, the identity side of things like Microsoft Entra, for example, and a lot of these scenarios do require to, you know, to be a privileged identity. So that's the only reason why I guess um, it doesn't work with you only having subscription level um, access, I guess. But it, yes, so it's very powerful. Um, and now we're just trying to make it more flexible, you're more, you're more dynamic, I guess, and try to now explore other scenarios. You know, like I mentioned before, like doing something like phishing, it's, it's very interesting to deploy sites, bring them down and try to maybe trick MDO sometimes and continue just make it learn about the things that are possible. And for something like that, you need to containerize uh, applications. You need to build your own, probably um, 
you know, Docker container images. So yeah, so I'm exploring that a little bit more and it seems to be super powerful. One of the things I want to uh, I want to ask about is sort of like looking at this as someone that is definitely not an expert in this space. Like how would someone get started? Like, you know, get involved doing, you know, kind of security research, you know, engaging in the open source community. Like how would how would you sort of recommend someone getting started to to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a good question. So in general, first it would depend, right, on the type of research that the person wants to do, right? I know, um, you know, friends in the community that they are very comfortable with using something like Fiddler or, you know, Burp Suite, for example, and then be able to understand how, for example, um, let's say an endpoint that has been joined to Azure AD, how it works, what the communication looks like. When you authenticate, what happens, right, from the client to the server? And for those things, you need some of those tools. Um, there are free versions, community versions of, of that. So, for example, if you want to take that path, I think it's a very interesting path. You just need to, once again, kind of identify what it is that you want to do. That's from understanding maybe how your computer communicates with the cloud, just be you know be curious into how things work and then try to use some of the tooling around once again a lot of that is just a you know community version tools that you can use um, the other thing that I recommend a lot uh, to folks that want to do a lot of the things that I've been doing for the past couple of years which is you know automation deployment of you know research environments for example um, so at Microsoft in my team I'm enabling you know helping um, you know, helping you know, others that would like to go through certain scenarios and say, hey, what would happen if a threat actor does X, Y, and Z? Well, to find out, we need to deploy environments, right? You know, even when you start working with, for example, right now, um, you know, let's say AI insecurity, if you're trying to understand how, for example, um, an application that uses an LLM to do something to either you know be a chatbot or be able to do things for you as your personal assistant, <laughs> let's say. If you want to learn how they could be attacked, well, we need to deploy an app. We need to deploy how you know you know there will be some automation in between so that you can start testing a few things. So I always recommend if you're interested in research like this for simulations and explore what would happen. Highly recommend to start learning Terraform, Bicep. Uh, Bicep is uh, from Microsoft, right? Bicep is like your Terraform-like uh, experience. Or using, uh, for example, how to use ARM templates so you can deploy you know, things in Azure by using the Azure Resource Manager services, right? Or maybe you want to learn from AWS. So um, you, know, you might need to learn also the language that they have. And a lot of these things are pretty easy to really get into actually learning. Um, Microsoft, for example, and I'm pretty sure other services, I'm not trying just to say, you know, do things with Microsoft in general, but in, in general, you will find the, the um, if you're building your own little things, like, you know, testing with one app and maybe with, I don't know, uh, Sentinel in general, there is always this like 30 days trials, three months trials. Um, some, some, um, some limitations are really good to actually play with things for a long time. And I think that it's pretty interesting to start diving into some of those areas, but always having, a, to me, like the goal in mind, like my goal is what would happen if somebody uses this? 
So then I start kind of bringing my tools. All right, so I need to, you know, bring my bicep templates, my arm templates. I need to start learning about container apps. So let's just maybe, you know, containerize an application locally. Once we feel comfortable, now how do we deploy it to Azure? How do we deploy it to other, you know, cloud services? So that's what I would definitely recommend to people just to start learning some of those tools um, that would allow you to start experimenting. And it's not that expensive. It's not expensive, to be honest, to, to do some of this basic testing. So cloud infrastructure and what happens from your client to the server, from your computer to the cloud and exploring that, I think it will open the door to so many different topics. Like that by itself would open the door to understanding you know, how authentication works, right? What are the different protocols that are being used? Um, and just take as, as, as many notes as you can. And then once you feel comfortable, share it in a local, um, you know, local event, you know, share it in a local B-size conference, for example. Um, and that would also push you to start structuring your research, structuring how you want to explain things. The more you explain things to others, the more you feel comfortable, the more you learn. And it just becomes this, cycle that turns into a methodology and now you you actually start identifying what works for you for certain you know research topics right awesome that sounds like a a very intense version of continuous learning across a lot of topics yeah yeah i mean th- that that's what it is and that's what i love my job is it's just you know security in general i think there is so much to cover but you realize i guess soon that you start doing similar things, right? Like, as I mentioned before, deploying a research lab environment, if you want to do it for, a, you know, for an active directory or a hybrid environment or everything in the cloud, and maybe now start testing new applications, like I mentioned before, like AI applications, like how can we do all that? You, you follow a, a similar methodology, right? You need to understand the fundamentals, build your little POC, test it a little bit, Take some notes, as I mentioned before. You know, figure out what it is that you can do with it. Maybe build something cool. Um, you know, for example, I was trying to learn recently um, how can we use retrieval augmented um, a generation or generative. Um, you know, how can we use that, for example, to make my application that is using a specific large language model. Right. I don't want to say in specific names, but uh, how can we use it to now bring my knowledge and make the bot actually know more than what he knew until the moment that he was trained, for example, right? Because that's one of the limitations of some of these, you know, chatbots out there that don't have the knowledge of the current, like today, right? Some of them, right? Some of them already have some enrichments, but so to me, uh, yeah, I was thinking if I'm bringing, um, if I'm trying to use a large language model into security, and I bring it to my threat intelligence team, right? What can I do to provide that TI knowledge that sometimes it's only available for the company that holds it, right? So that was just an experiment. And I was thinking, all right, well, first thing, let's try to figure out what could be an open source threat intelligence um, sample, for example. And, and then I thought, you know, like MITRE ATT&CK has a lot of attack groups in their own database. When we are thinking about TI, we're tracking groups. We're, we're tracking, right, the tradecraft of the adversaries. So my goal was, all right, let's investigate how we can bring all that data from MITRE ATT&CK and focus only on groups of MITRE ATT&CK. 
and then see if we can put it into a database that then we can retrieve that knowledge as we ask questions and then make sure that we enrich our communications with our application that is using an LLM. That's retrieval augmented generation, for example, where you are providing additional information, making the, the application that you're building retrieve additional knowledge that it requires to be more accurate right, in, in, into their uh, responses. And with zero knowledge on all of this, it was just taking those steps, like what do I have to do first? What tools can I use that are open source? And then just to start right, kind of working your way to building a basic POC. And then I presented that into a couple of conferences already, and it seems that it's, it's, it has been um, super helpful for, for others just to kind of see the methodology of how you get to something that you were not comfortable maybe six months ago, but now you feel comfortable enough to share it with others or maybe even internally now have the conversations that you wanted to have with others that are already talking a different language, right? Six months ago, right, when somebody was talking to me about, you know, this technique, you know, RAG, right, RAG, retrieval augmentation, um, I didn't know what they were talking about. And I was like, man, I feel that I cannot contribute because I get stuck at just at the conversation. Um, so yeah, so that's just one example of, you know, what somebody can do with open source stuff and for free, right? So talking about open source, uh, back in uh, 2022, you came in and talked about Similan. Uh, can you talk a little bit about it, uh, anything new and how uh, you could uh, use it uh, together with Cloud Katana, etc.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Simulan was an open, is still an open source project where we wanted to say there are specific, specific attack paths that a threat actor can take. Right. For example, the topic that we have in Simulan is the how you can use federation services or an environment that is connected to the cloud via EDFS and how that could be abused or you know, how can you compromise that environment and what are the different options that you have or a threat actor might have, right? Um, and then what are the security controls that exist like around some of those steps um, in the in the end-to-end -end scenario. So Simulan was a way to say, these are the scripts that you can use to deploy the environment, right? There are some manual steps that unfortunately right, you have to do. <laughs> but the way was, this is the environment, deploy it. Once you feel comfortable with it, now these are the steps that you can take to go through the simulation. And we didn't want to, of course, you know, come up with new ways to do things. We just took what the community had already shared. So there is a uh, you know, pretty good tool, AAD Internals, for example, by one of my good friends in the community, Dr. Nestori from SecureWorks. And so it was, it was nice to, to use something that it's already out there and that we're already tracking, right, to how a interactor would use it. Um, and then just simply share the steps. The idea was also to, usually when you share TI around a, let's say, specific attack path, Usually we share alerts, we share, hey, they run these commands maybe, um, you know, pay attention to these, API, uh, to these IPs or yeah, maybe this, you know, those permissions, those APIs being used, et cetera. But I think that when you actually run a scenario in your own research lab in a company, for example, you're exposing the security researcher to more context that a 
simple report or just a report in general might not provide to you. For example, when we did Simulan and sh and then we shared the the end-to-end -end simulation, we actually found more logs that you know we had to add to our detections that we had already built in the past because it exposed us to some of those data sources that we were not as aware. And we also feel that customers bring their own security stack, right? They might use something else. So why not see what else gets generated in your environment? So that was the idea. You know, run it in your environment, follow the steps. We were not providing a, a tool to actually execute everything. We were saying, these are our notes. This is how you know, we will run it. And then you take care of it, you as a customer, right? With Cloud Katana, what you can do is there are some scenarios, especially those that are only fully cloud-based scenarios, that you can just have a Cloud Katana flow or campaign to be running, for example, um, in a sequence. I mean, you can just run it automatically if you wanted to, right? Pr granting the right permissions to the app. So that's how you can mix it up a little bit. And the news in Simulan is that, so internally, for the past two years, <laughs> I've been working on actually documenting more scenarios internally that we're using to validate security controls and you know create new detections, partner with the defenders teams to start right providing more coverage in some scenarios. And we're going to be releasing more things at the end of the year um, where there are going to be some pretty cool scenarios that will align very well with some of the new capabilities that you know, our products have. I'm not a salesperson. I'm just a security researcher that for me is very important to be able to say, yes, these are the 10 detections. These are the maybe 10 products that you can use to protect yourself. But let me also share how you could also validate it and maybe test your SOC, for example. Bring your security team into a day and say, let's run all these simulations in Simulant um, and then, you know, see how we respond to that, right? Something like that. I think that that's the goal as well. To make people experience that and go beyond just alert, right? Like what else is in your environment that we might not even have because you might have a different tool um, and what happens when this scenario triggers in your environment? That's, that's the idea. So Roberto, obviously you do tons and tons of cool things, um, but I know you've been doing uh, some things in the open source AI space. Do you want to quickly tell us about the kind of things you've been looking at there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I touched a little bit um, a couple of minutes ago on this, but just to expand it. So the goal is we're trying to share, we as the open threat research community, so I'm the founder and also part of this community where we have a few folks, for example, those that are part of the Mystic Pi, for example, open source Python library from Microsoft, um, just to start brainstorming around to see how we can share Jupyter Notebooks with, with some examples, once again, like some proof of concepts of what some of these skills, for example, would be interested you know, interesting to learn. So let's say you want to build your own chatbot. Yeah, there is a lot of blog posts and videos now. Like there is, there's a lot actually that gets released every week. Our goal is to say, how can you apply some of that into security, right? If you're building a chatbot, uh, can we share that basic example to a Jupyter Notebook and say, let's build a chatbot that might help you to query your database. Um, let's use maybe some open source tools like, I don't know, Langchain, Llama Index. There is a lot that you can use out there. 
and start exploring those capabilities. So sharing a couple of Jupyter Notebooks uh, soon, I shared a few in my recent presentations where, for example, beyond the retrieval um, augmented generation example that I just talked about, how you can help the LLM to have more context around the topic that you want to interact with, right? You need to provide that knowledge. So how do you do it? That's what we did with RAG. Um, one of the things that I was trying to do is how can we also use some of these capabilities to query a SQL database by you know, making the LLM learn the schema of the SQL database maybe or the craft database and then start interacting with the database in a more natural language way, right? So using natural language, uh, you know, asking regular questions and then get that you know, response back. You know, once you learn how to interact with a structure, um, a, you know, database or data in general, um, then how can we actually start doing this in a loop? Right? How can we say, ask a question, get a response, and then based on the response, maybe trigger another action? So then we're diving into the concept of agents, for example, that are super powerful to build some of these workflows that, yes, you can automate a lot of these things with a couple of scripts, but having the, let's say, LLM in the middle allows you to summarize maybe a lot of these responses in a better way, uh, expedite the way how you want to tell someone, hey, can you put this in a YAML format or in a JSON format? Or, for example, I'm a big uh, fan of Marmate, uh, um, which allows us to uh, create some you know, beautiful graph visualizations with, with a couple of lines that it's not that hard to type. But when you want to type Marmate for a big document, <laughs> then it's not that easy. So maybe having a tool that can easily do uh, that for you because it, it knows the schema, it, that's what we're trying to test. And then how do we take it to security? Uh, how can we go from an event log in XML or JSON to a data frame? Yes, there are tools to do that, but how can you make it actually query that data frame also based on, I don't know, some, a couple questions or probably giving it examples like, hey, you know, uh, this is what maybe lateral movement looks for me. Um, do you see lateral movement in this data frame, for example? Like things like that. It's, you know, we're trying just to build something like that and just share it with the community and see uh, if it inspires others to do the same. Um, I was very happy to hear some internal uh, you know, researchers, some, some other friends in the community too, saying that they learned a lot based on these recent notebooks and presentations that were given in this past couple of conferences, like CIFCON, for example, in Poland. Um, and it was just nice to hear that it was, it was helping others. So why not continue doing that, right? And sharing all that information. So Roberto, um, usually we ask a, a final thought or maybe a recommendation for our listeners. Uh, do you have one that you could share? Yeah, yeah. So I think this might sound, um, I don't know, that it's something that I always tell people is just continue, you know, being curious about all this stuff. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to jump into a new project and maybe search for a new open source tool that you can use to do certain things. Don't feel that you're reinventing the wheel. Actually, there is where you learn you know, a lot, just trying to build a lot of stuff yourself. Um, yeah, and just continue to be curious and, and share as much as you can with others. That also helps a lot. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Really appreciate it. You know, one thing I love about doing this podcast is 
you get to talk to really interesting people and you always learn something. And this is, again, you know, absolutely no exception. So again, uh, Roberto, thank you so much for joining this week. And to all our listeners out there, hopefully you found this of use too. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license. <laughs>